This is the Adoptive Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. Hey everyone, welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. You're listening to Season 5, Episode 66 with me, your host, Alex Fitton. You can find me on Facebook at Alex Fitton and on Instagram at The Adoptive Mom. Today, we're getting to sit down to chat with Peter Habiarmana, and I really hope I'm saying his name right. He told me how to pronounce it, and I'm still struggling, so he said I could call him Peter Hobby. Um, listen, you guys, his story is bananas, and you are all going to want to hang on to every word. Peter was born in Uganda, was educated in the UK, and went to seminary here in the U.S., He has worked for international charities that help the disadvantaged all over the world his entire life. He's traveled to 101 countries and has seen how poverty and lack of basic needs affects children all over the world. He was a street kid from ages 10 to 15, which is the reason he has a passion for kids in the foster care system. And he's an adoptive dad to one boy and has fostered many other kids. Um, I'm like exhausted just from reading that intro because he has done so much and I can't wait for you guys to hear his whole story. But before we jump in, I would love it if you would go over to iTunes and leave the adoptive mom podcast a review. Look, I know you have to like click out of stuff and click into other stuff. And sometimes I don't want to do that either. But if you love this podcast and you think other people would too, this is the absolute best way to get the word out. Don't ask me why or how it has something to do with the interwebs and algorithms and other big words. And just trust me. Okay. Thanks, guys. Okay, now let's sit down with Peter. Well, hello, Peter. Welcome to the Adoptive Mom podcast. Um, I'm so excited to have you on the show. How's it going? Uh, it's going really well. I'm really excited to, to be part of your team and share my story. Yeah, for sure. I'm excited to hear your story. I heard a little bit of, of it from a video you sent me yesterday, which, by the way, guys, I'll put in the show notes. But I'm super excited to hear the whole thing. But first, just go ahead and give us like a, just a, a nutshell version of who you are and what you do. Well, my name is Peter Javier Mana, and I am originally from Uganda and Rwanda, but I have lived in the United States for the last 16 years. Uh, and uh, I'm a single foster dad, and I love really, really giving a little life and love to foster kids. That's so fun. It's so cool that you decided to do that. And we're going to hear all about that. But I just think you're very brave because (laughs) I am a married foster parent and it's so hard. So all the kudos to you for doing it by yourself. Um, But so you've spent time in three, a a lot of time in three main countries, right? So how did all that happen? Why don't you just go ahead and tell us your, your story? Well, absolutely. So I was born in Uganda in a little small village uh, called Kavale, you know, among the poor of the poorest. You know, I grew up in a home where we had one meal every other day. Like we couldn't afford, you know, a a meal a day or we couldn't even afford to have a meal with two items. So we would either have beans or potatoes. So grew up really, really poor. And then at the age of four, I began to realize that not only were we poor, but my dad was also super uh, abusive towards me and towards my mom. So at the age of nine, I thought, you know, well, I'm not going to take all these abuse. So I decided to run away. So I became a street kid. So I moved from my village, Kabale. Then I moved 500 kilometers away 
uh, to Kampala and became a street kid. Well, while on the streets, someone saw me and someone, you know, as street kids in Uganda, we don't, we don't really kind of beg for money. You work, but while you're working, it's where you find a way to survive. Mm. And so uh, somehow a, a good Samaritan thought, well, this kid, I can give uh, a, a little uh, help for him. And sure enough, he became my, my, my dad in some way, put me in school. So that's how I ended up go, uh, living in Uganda and then ended up going to England uh, to study. Uh, where I lived for about four or five years, and then I got a scholarship to study here in the United States, and that's how I ended up here in the U.S. Wow. And, yeah, so I didn't know um, how you ended up here. I wasn't sure if it was for work or whatever. So how many years were you in England? And it was at a boarding school, right? Uh, no, I was in a boarding school in Uganda, and then okay. I, went to, I went to university in, uh, in England for four to five years. Wow. Okay. And then, so did you come here for more college or for something else? Yes, I'm overly educated. So then, <laughs> yes, I got a, I get a scholarship to come and study here uh, in the U.S. Wow. Okay. And so, what is your, what's your um, educational background in? So I studied economics uh, and I majored in international marketing. And then I went to England to study in crisis management to really help people in a crisis. And then when I came to the United States, I wanted to know the Bible really well. So I went to a theological school, one to learn uh, about uh, the American culture, but also learn something that I really, really loved. Uh, that's my faith. Wow. So you're like <laughs> a business economics humanitarian pastor. <laughs> You have a lot going Correct. on. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. More like that. Yes. Okay. That's awesome. That's really, really cool. So obviously you had a really, really hard past. Um, and you've, you know, you obviously had such a fighter mentality to get yourself out of that. What do you think, just going back to that beginning of your story, knowing kids from hard places, as I know you do too, with the foster care journey, there are so many of these kids that don't see a way out. They don't see how they could ever escape their circumstances. So what was different for you? Well, for me, I had no absolute choice. So on one side, poverty was the, 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 the worst of all. Then I think for me, the hard part was to see the abuse that was coming towards me, but also was coming towards my mom as the first old uh, boy. Like, I didn't know what to do. Like, I, I felt like I, I was handcuffed. I, I couldn't protect her. And so instead of watching it and feeling it and that, you know, coming towards me that I thought, you know, the best way out is to run away, you know. And in some way, I thought my dad would take my life. So for me, running away was the best thing I, I could do. And so that's how I, I, I really uh, somehow found a way to I knew that the outside wasn't good. I knew where I was going. I didn't know where I was going. But it was a little bit better being abused by people you didn't know than someone who should protect you. So. That's in some way for me what was different, but also what inspired me to run as far as I could. Yeah. And you took a bus, right, to get to that other city? Yes. And I had never been 10 miles away from my village, you know. So somehow I basically I went to the bus and I asked the lady, hey, of all these buses, which goes the farthest? But why I asked that was I was afraid that my dad will find me or will mm. come after me. So the whole idea was how far can I go from the abuse? Oh, how far can I go away that he will never get to see me again? So have you ever been back there to your village? 
Yes, absolutely. So once, you know, I'm the oldest of five. So once I really was put in school and I saw that life, there was hope for me and that someone had seen a potential in me and it was educating me. So I really wanted to give towards my four siblings as well. So the only way I could do was to go back, you know, not go back and live there, but I really went back to see if my uh, siblings were well. But I also loved my mom that I wanted her to know that I was safe. So it took about five years, six years to go back. But I really wanted to let them know, like, hey, I'm, I'm in school, but I would like to help you to go to school as well. And I knew it was the only way away I could help them to also uh, get away from that abuse and poverty as well. Wow. And that had to be really hard for you to go back. But I feel like it did it give you um, a sense of understanding when you because how many foster kids have you had now? Uh, I've had 11, 11 had foster 11. kids. So have it give, has it given you a sense of understanding for their circumstances when they, they want to go back, when they want to help, even if they don't know how, um, just since that was what the situation that you were in as well? You know, absolutely, yes. It's really crazy about kinship, you know, where you come from, no, no matter how hard it was. You know, I think for me, the connection between my, you know, me and my mom was the most important and my siblings as well. Like I always felt I was empty, but also I wanted to change their lives as well that I thought going back was the best way that I can do uh, that for them. So, yes, absolutely. I understand for foster kids to always, you know, it might, it might not make sense for us to where they're coming from or the background they've had. But it's the best and it's the only way that in some way fulfills you as a human being to have that connection uh, with even your abuser or the most difficult place that you come from. But yet, you still love those who are there uh, and you still have a connection. And for, for me, it was my mom and my siblings. I love that. And are they still in Uganda? Yes, absolutely. They have all finished university. You know, I managed <gasps> so to put them cool. in school. Uh, and four of them are teachers, uh, and, and one works for uh, another company. But yes, uh, to see that, for me, the amazing part is to see that uh, someone who didn't know who I was, he didn't know my name, he didn't see the, the worst in me, but he saw an opportunity to change the life of a kid, that he changed me, but in some way, he changed my entire family as well. I love that. That's so cool to hear that that they were able to have success kind of through you, through someone else. And that that that's a good um, transition to what I wanted to ask you about next. So that man that that saw something in you, that saw you on the streets, and I loved hearing how in detail you went in your video um, about your story, just about how impoverished you were even as a street kid and how little hope you had for your future. Um, so talk to us about that. Well, I had come from a family where my dad saw me as nobody. You know, he never wished anything good to me. So in some way, I really believed those lies. I believed what he saw me as. And in some way, uh, it, it's really uh, what I also saw on the streets. On the streets, you're not treated as human beings. So in some way, I feel like it's hard when you're so in need and when you have nothing and everyone else looks at you as a problem or looks at you as nobody that in some way I never saw myself as equal to human beings, you know. So for me, that was the, the difficult part that, you know, I was thrown to garbage. I slept in garbage. I smelled garbage, you know. So in some way, I felt like maybe that was my life, that that's who I was. So for this man to see me at my lowest and say, hey, you know, if you had an opportunity to go to school, would you like to go to school? You know, to me, that was just like someone coming to you right now and say, hey, would you like to go to the moon? You're like, <laughs> why, why would I you know 
but I think for me, it was more of a shock that someone uh, saw a potential in me. Wow. And something that you said when you were describing this in um, in that video of your story was that you were willing to say whatever you needed to say to just get food. You know, that was like your tunnel vision. All you could see was just being fed for the day. And as as parents of kids from hard places, we see this over and over again, right? Like I'm sure you've seen this in your foster kids too, that that trauma disorders, those um, those lies that they're willing to tell or manipulations to because they feel like it's a survival technique, like they will die unless they sell this to you or this lie. And so I'm, I'm wondering if that helped you to resonate with these kids that you're helping now because you've been in that place before. Right, absolutely. You know, one thing is, as, as I say, like you, you see yourself as the law of the law. It's that like nobody wants you. You're the cause of the problem, and so you believe in that. So, in in some way, but you you also know the little best to survive. So for me, food was the only way I knew how to survive. So if I could steal it, to be honest, it was a little bit easy. But also, as the rest of the kids on the streets, the only survival we had was to protect ourselves and get some food and it didn't matter how we got it so in some way for me food was the only way i knew was the best to survive so it either you stole it or you lied in every way shape you can to get it but uh, it was the, the survival so i see that in the kids uh, that are in a false system they are not looking for a nice bed most time they are not looking for the coolest uh, cup they can have. They are not looking for the best choice of food that they can have. They are really truly looking for the one thing that can make them survive. And sometimes for us parents or for us as foster parents, when we don't recognize that, then we, we somehow don't connect or don't help them the best way we can because their basics are different than what our basics are. And so that was for me. Yeah. And as you know, as as parents, we I think that our pride gets in the way where we all we can see is that we're being manipulated and that makes us angry. But you are um, you're living proof that someone saw past that, right? Like that that man was was okay with the fact that you were trying to manipulate him because he could see the need above his own pride. So how how has that affected you and your parenting as well? Right, absolutely. So for me, and he's the cool thing for me, he didn't give me food once he gave me food once. Second, every month so it took me a while to trust him actually when he said would you like to go to school i mean it took almost a year and a half for me to say this man is for real and <laughs> uh, so yes you know for foster kids i think sometimes we, we they walk in our homes and you think hey here's food here's your bed so let's get life going and you're <laughs> like uh, <laughs> no you know uh, that's not the case yes the kids come in our care they have so much, but this they have so much uh, that it is in between now and and what happened to them, and they haven't figured out who you were or even what you have or what you're trying to offer in your home. But for them, they're just thinking, what's one thing that I need to survive for today? They are not thinking about next month. They are not thinking about next. They they, they you know there is no concept of uh, of timeline in some way that they are thinking of now. And now that means, how do I survive today? And so sometimes, yes, uh, it can be a challenge when, when we're thinking, hey, you've got a home, welcome in, and you're here as, as much as you want. In our eyes, in my eyes, I did not really believe that mm. you know, in, in, in any shape form. Wow. And and that's, I mean, that's so true. Like, absolutely. Those are, those are the things that we deal with every day. And I think that, you know, it's hard because 
obviously you would never wish your circumstances on on yourself again or on on another kid but they helped uh shape you for this this calling that you've taken on which you know I want to get into later you know why you decided to become a foster dad after everything you've been through but first I want to ask you so you know we've talked about where you came from and then where you are now what about that in between you know what about while you were at school how long did it take you to um to start to trust or how did you begin to deal with the trauma of your past well, yes, absolutely. So school came. So when they said I will take you to school, the option was to put him in a boarding school. I think they thought, you know, this this kid, he's a street kid and he's, you know, he's lived a rough life. Like there's no way we can bring him to our family, you know, you know. So they thought that the middle ground was boarding school. So for me, when I went to boarding school, I went for one day. That's all. So because they had been there for me for a year and a half that I thought I owe them a favor to go to school for one day, <laughs> you know. So I told my street kids, I said, hey, if you don't see me in the next 24 hours, you just know that man killed me. And if you see him, do the same, you know. So in, <laughs> in my head, that's, that's, what, that's what I was thinking, you know. But he took me. So he said, hey. They'll feed you lunch and they'll feed you breakfast and they'll feed you dinner. So uh, we went there. It was lunchtime. So they gave me lunch. They said, hey, uh, there's dinner as well. So for me, what kept me in school was the food. So they said, you'll have lunch. So I was like, okay, lunch is there. They said dinner. So then for me was the next meal, the next meal. But in the long run, I did not realize that, oh, I'm in the boarding school. I think for me, the key thing was food. And so by waiting for every other meal, a week passed, a month passed, and then I realized that I was also good in school, you know, that I school was a little bit easy for me uh, in some way. And so that really began to change my life. And maybe the, the one thing that changed it all was that for him to see me as a human being, it wasn't really where he was taking me. It wasn't the opportunity about school. Like, I didn't really care about school. There's no one educated in my home. So it wasn't like, oh, yeah, he's doing you a favor. No. Uh, I think for me, what changed or what really started that transformation was him seeing me at my lowest and saying, hey, you know, kid, you have a potential. You matter like any other kid. And so for me, that's really what began to really in some way change my heart and also know that I was a human being. So first, I had to be worthy of being uh, that kid, you know, first, because I never thought I was. Uh, uh, normal or uh, that anyone could treat me like another human being. So after recognizing that, that really began to help me to say, you know what, he believes I have a potential, maybe I have a potential. Uh, And that's really what began to to make me excel uh, in life. So, wow, I mean, that's that's amazing that you, um, I don't know, I think that looking back, it's probably in hindsight, you're like, wow, that was a long time that it took you to, to realize that or to begin to trust or to overcome some of these things. And in the moment, you know, it probably f- didn't feel like that. It probably just felt like survival, you know, just every day. You're like you said, you're, you're looking for the next meal. And then over the course of time, you began that healing process. Were there any like therapeutic services in the school you went to? Uh, no, at all. You know, of course, in Africa, there's nothing like you know, there's nothing like that. Uh, they don't have know. occupational therapy. <laughs> Absolutely, no, no occupational therapy, no counseling. No, you know, I think for me it was the patience of this family. Mm. So once he put me in the boarding school, that he would always come every two days, you know, uh, to check on me. And so I think for me that began to really, in some way, say, uh, "Wait, Peter, you, you, that man thinks you're somebody." Uh, uh, that it really began to, in, in some way, 
I don't know, give me a little sense of hope, you know? And then there was food, to be honest. It was the consistency of food that mm. maybe, that was for me, was the basic me, like was the one me that I worried about, that I was afraid about. Uh, so once that was in place, I think that began to show me that, hey, if, 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 if I can keep this, then there's a little hope for me. Not in future, but down the road, you know, mm-hmm. a week later. Month, and that's how I survived. I wasn't looking for a year. I think for me, I was, you know, really surviving on a day to day best that turned into a week. And I love that you're talking about um, just those basic needs. Because if you look at, you know, I did an episode in my um, the, the first season of my podcast on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I'm not sure if you're familiar, but that first level of needs is just those those basic like food, water, air, you know, and, and I think that as as foster and adoptive parents, we look at that top tier. We're like, we have to go straight to to love and acceptance and like that that top tier of, of love. But for a lot of kids that are coming from hard places, they just need that bottom level. Like that's the first step. And if you surpass that, if you try to go straight to love, they're still stuck on food, you know, and, and that's that's what they need. And also, you know, they say a lot of people want to go and they they want to build schools and they want to do all these really great things. But the basic need is making sure that they can even process education because if they're hungry they can't do that you know if you're if you're hungry you can't think about math or whatever else and so i think that a lot of great intentions um have to start with those basic necessities right absolutely yes you you know when you when you lack basics like it's you can't really think beyond you know you can't think about school you can't think about uh, also you know as a kid when when your family has been taken away the, the one source maybe where you thought you could survive you know uh it's it's not there you know mm-hmm. but also the other the other part is that for us foster parents you have to earn trust from the child you know and i think it's always the other we will always think they should you know, hey, you, I need to trust you, but it's the other way around. But actually, it's the key that need to earn, you need to earn that their trust, and that was for me too. That I really slowly had to know, like, okay, they gave me food every Tuesday, so I was like, okay, they they really mean it. And then they said, hey, we'll take you to school. Though it took me a long time to say yes, but finally I said yes. But they took me to school. So uh, small little pieces kept, uh, you know, giving me the assurance that they that, that they really meant what they said, you know. But I feel like they didn't force it, but they took their time. But I think mentally for me, I heard they had to earn my trust in some way. Mm-hmm. And in that way, it really helped us to, to to work together, but also believe that they had the best intention for me. Yes, absolutely. And so that brings me to another question I had. So I I, um, I saw in your story, or I heard in your story that even though you, you went to school through Compassion, which is a Christian organization, and you had this consistent love coming at you from this family and, you know, in school, and you had a lot of things being poured into you that had never been poured into you before, but you didn't actually come to faith until you were in your 20s, right? Yes, absolutely. Yes, I did. I did not. And so, you know, I think that that speaks a lot because we as foster and adoptive parents, you know, we want to fix things and we want it now. You know, we we don't, it's hard for us to see this process of, you know, that kid could become a great, you know, warrior of the Lord, but it's not going to happen right now. And so having the patience to see that through, just like your story did, right? I mean, you were inconsistent, you know, you were having consistent input in your life and it still took a while before, before you had healed and before you had come to that place where you were ready. So talk to us about that. 
Well, yes, absolutely. So for me, I really struggled with uh, uh, my dad's abuse towards me and towards my mom. So in some way, I think that bubbled in some way that, you know, anything that came, I I always, that was a really hump that I always had to overcome, you know. So for me, my faith really didn't make sense because my dad was religious. So I could not understand how you can be so religious, but yet be so mean to your family, you know. So mm-hmm. for me, that was, was hard. Then the other part was forgiveness that I think I didn't know, I did not know how to forgive my dad. Like, to me, here's how I understood forgiveness. I thought that once I grow up, I'm going to go back home and break his leg. Like, I wanted to pay him something, you know, that I would show like, hey, you don't joke with me. And now I have the right to do whatever I want to you. You know, so I think he's that that changed for me because of the uh, of this man, of how he loved me. I think he really showed that, hey, despite of where you come from, despite of the, the unforgiveness that I still love you, uh, that really made life easy for me to forgive my dad, but as well understand what love and what uh, giving others opportunity meant that I felt like, hey, this man has given me the best he can. I ought to give that towards my dad. But he was the example. He's the one who showed me what love truly was. That's that's so awesome. Um I think it's 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 so inspiring that that you allowed yourself that time or I mean you probably didn't feel in the moment like you were allowing yourself time, but looking back over the timeline of your life that you can have grace for that period between when you were actually, you know, safe and then when you felt safe. You know, cuz we we know that 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 doesn't always happen at the same time, actual safety versus felt safety. And so you gave yourself that time. And that was when you were in your 20s. So at what point did you come here um, to the United States? So, yeah, so I got a scholarship to uh, study here 2000, maybe yeah, 2000, 2001 uh, by a strange. Again, I think for me, my life has been really unique in some way that strangers are the ones that uh, in some way have given me opportunity uh, to be who I am and believe in me as well. You know, I met a little boy uh, who was 18 years old working in uh, uh, refugees in Sudan. And so he said, hey, you love kids so much. You need to come and study in the United States. So I said, sure. You know, so that's how I got a scholarship to come and study in the United States. Uh, so I've been here since 2001 uh, to today. Um, and 2001 was a rough year to come to the United States, huh? Absolutely, yes. As a foreigner, as a student, you know, my first time to live in the United States, yes. That was really difficult to see what was happening and, uh, under 9-11 Hey guys, a quick break to talk about one of our sponsors, Little Box of Decorations. LBD has become my go-to for every celebratory event ever. They will take literally any idea you have and transform it into an amazing event. I used them for my daughter's birthday party last spring and most recently for my season five launch party. They will send you a curated box of decor, table settings, games, and more all within your budget right to your doorstep. Check them out for literally all of your party and event needs at littleboxofdecorations.co. Don't you go sticking an M at the end of that. That's littleboxofdecorations.co. The Adapted Bomb Podcast is also brought to you by Alpha Lit Letters. Do you need something to spice up your event? I know I certainly did, and I am so glad I went with Alpha Lit. Their marquee letters are exactly what you need to take your party or event to the next level. Check them out at alphalitletters.com today. 
dad is from Rwanda. So when I was 19 years old, 18, yeah, 19 years old, my family, the ones that adopted me or fostered me, you know, gave me an opportunity to go to work during the genocide in Rwanda. So I speak Rwandese, and, uh, but I was able to, to really uh, want to go, you know, rescue the children. So he said, Peter, you speak the language. Would you like to go and rescue the children, provide for them? with shelter, food, and medicine. So that's how I went to Rwanda. And while I was in Rwanda, I think I saw, I don't know, I would see a thousand dead bodies on a day. So I had, seen the, I had seen the worst of the worst uh, during the, the Rwanda genocide. So for me, when 9-11 was happening, it, it was more, you know, bad flashback to go back to what had happened in 1994. But at the same time, uh, seeing how God had rescued, uh, you know, the kids, that I truly knew there was hope for, you know, for what was happening in America as well. Absolutely. And we were so much, I mean, to compare the two situations, obviously, Rwanda had much more struggle than we did. And um, that that's an amazing perspective uh, for you to be able to have both of those things. Um, and so after you got here, you went to college or you went to um, seminary. So um, at what point were you like you know what? I've had a lot of trauma in my life. Um, let's become a foster dad. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. So I thought by, I thought at 25, I would be married, you know, at 30, I would be married with five children that didn't come, you know, you know, so I was working uh, for Compassion International and I traveled the world as an advocate for children all over the world, you know, so I, we travel, it was just, you know, I traveled 80% of the time. So I thought, I can't, I can't do this. You know, I really want to have a, a family and be stable. So I stopped working for Compassion and became a, a, a house flipper. So I would buy old homes and then flip them to make money. But during that time, I thought, you know, I really have a passion to make a difference for kids. You know, I had a house, it had three extra bedrooms. And I was like, how do you how do you leave and say God has blessed me with a house, but yet it's empty uh, and knowing there were kids who really needed a place to, to be. So, well, first of all, I didn't know they allow single men to be foster parents. So I walked to an agency. I said, Hey, I would like to volunteer. I would like to help moms and, you know, take kids for a game or give money or time or whatever. So uh, the social worker there said, you know, but have you ever thought of being a foster dad? I said, but I'm single. He said, yeah, you're single. You can be. I said, where do I sign up? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Where do I sign up? I think for me, here's the, the struggle that I really have had since living in the United States. I could not understand how we can have so much, but yet there are kids who are looking for just a roof and to be loved, but yet we cannot do that for them. Like, I could not understand that. In Africa, if you have family, and you have kids and they have nowhere to go, usually the farmers will take care of them or even the neighbor. You know, there's no process. There's no DSS. There's no DHS. There's no there's no social service. Usually the families or the communities takes over those kids. So in my case, being in the United States, I could not understand how we can hear uh, that God loves us. But for me, it was more to do with, hey, how do I live my faith for what he has given me? But he's given me so much, you know, Matthew 12, 40, 48, too much is given, much is required. Like, how do I account for these empty bedrooms when there are kids in the neighborhood that truly need a home to be? You know, so that's really why I thought, God, you know, I don't know how, but you teach me how I can do that. And that's how I became a foster dad. That's crazy. So some of the, I mean, it's, 
some let's talk about some of the just the the really technical side of being a foster dad so being a man being single are there any stipulations on you being a foster parent Right. So, you know, I think, you know, I thought one, you know, being single, well, you know, do you really know how to take care of kids or do you, you know, in some <laughs> way, are you skilled to do so? You know, uh, I think sometimes, yes, uh, that we look at men and we think they have no, no love or even the best instinct to truly be there for the kids. You know, so in, in my head, too, that's what I thought. I thought I'm a single dad. I mean, can I can I, you know, is, is, is there room for me to, to make that as a difference? But as soon as uh, I heard that, hey, you can, then I was like, wait, you know, I have the time. I have the room. But also knowing that, and I asked the agents, I said, since I'm single, is there any help that I'll be given? They said, yeah, sure. We'll give you the training uh, and provide ways on how you can be a best dad you can. Uh, So, yeah. That's so cool. So are you, so you've taken pretty much only teen boys, right? Is that, or is there more variants? Yes, I've taken from two years old to 11. Oh, wow. Okay. And has it always been boys or have there been girls too? Uh, siblings. So if they're boys but have a sibling girl, yes, a uh, girl as well. Okay. I see. I've I've had a lot of friends or I've known a lot of single moms, but you are the first single dad foster parent that I've been able to talk to. And so I'm really excited just to hear that, you know, I, I'm really glad that you were able to share your heart behind that and why it was important to you. Um, but I, I have to ask, you know, did, has your past trauma affected the way that you parent? Has it affected the way that you see these kids? Has it triggered anything or brought up old pains for you? Absolutely. You know, yes, it, it has in some way, you know, uh, that uh, sometimes, you know, I think for me, it may be more to do with understanding where they're coming from. But the, the triggering is more done, to be honest, by their parents. You know, mm. uh, I think for me, the triggers are more, to me, come usually from the, the parents where the kids are coming from. Because in my head, yeah, it brings back to that dad. It brings back to, you know, the time where he could not feed you because he hadn't, you know, he felt you didn't deserve the food. I, I think of the time where my dad thought I was the most stupid, you know, I was good for nothing. I, you know, all those come usually when I had to deal with their parents, you know, but for the kids, you know, I, you know, I think it was easier for me to be in their shoes, to know when they, when they're angry, when they, when they're cursing you, when they want to run away. Like I understood, like I'd been there, you know, mm. like I knew what it, what it felt like. But I think for me, the hard part, to be honest, the trauma were more to do with their parents because they reminded me of my own dad. And, you know, that's that's really hard. I think that it's hard to be consistently reminded of the worst part of your life, you know, or the hardest part of your life. Um, but what a gift you're able to give those kids that come in your home, because where, a, you know, neurotypical like me, you know, I grew up, my parents are still married. You know, I had a, I, I was always fed like I, I had privilege growing up. And it's harder for me to relate. It's harder for me to see where these kids are coming from. And I, I want to get there. You know, I want my I want to understand and I can go through the training and I can go through the the classes or the read the books. And I still will never have experienced that. I still will never be able to fully understand. And that's something that you can can hand to these kids. And what a gift for that. Um, do you has have any of these kids been able to see that or um, or are they still just dealing with their own circumstances? You know, I, you know, 
I think being a male, there's an advantage of especially having more boys uh, come to me because I feel like where they're coming from, the dad was never there. But they, they are longing for a father figure, you know. And I think uh, them coming and knowing, hey, I got a dad, only my dad. I don't have to share or I don't have to really be scrambling for, uh, you know, uh, something that they really connect with me quickly. But I think for me too as well, like I see them, as you say, like I was that kid. So the moment I see them, I know they have bags. Think of you coming from shopping and you have a million bags that you that are heavy that you want to put down, that it's easy for me to see those bags that they are carrying and embrace them with those bags that they have. Uh, and so then walk it through uh, in, in some way that it's been really a, a blessing, especially the, uh, the the boys that they feel, hey, he's a man who really has time for me that I never had. That they are looking for him. You know, I wish I could be, I wish he could be my dad. And all my kids, 90% of them have called me dad from the first week. Wow. Um, not, not that I'm a dad in some way, but I think they're just yearning for that. They are not yearning for, 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 for a dad. And I think that has really made it, the connection better, knowing where they're coming from. You know, always, whatever they do, like, I, I don't really judge when they yell. I don't judge when they steal. You know, I want to understand where they're coming from to do that. Man, and that's good grief. Like, that's hard. That's hard to not judge. That's hard to not get angry. It's hard to not um, put ourselves first in those situations. Um, is that is that something you've been able to help other foster parents with as well? You know, being a foster dad is really hard when you're just single. So, you you, you know, you just go day by day to survive. Uh, but sometimes it's not easy to connect with other foster parents. But sometimes, yes, those that I get to be uh, respectful, uh, yes, that I get to really help. Or, you know, sometimes I have single moms who have boys who need time with uh, a male, you know. <laughs> uh, but, but sometimes when they are really dealing with issues, I'm able to really sit in on their behalf and say, hey, you know. No one loves you like that mom. No one loves you and cares for you like that mom. Yeah, you might, you know, be looking for a male or somebody. Uh, but at this moment, she's she's the mom. She's the dad. She's the best you can be, you know. Mm. Uh, so, so be able to, to really help, especially single moms, uh, to sit in for their teen boys. That's really cool that you guys are able to partner together um, to, I, I don't know, they, they say it takes a village, but we're like, you guys are able to partner together to raise these kids and give them the best start. Um, and so actually, you are in the process of adoption right now, right? Yes, absolutely. So, uh, you know, as a respite, you know, I, I've been a force very also as a respite. So one day, I get a phone call that they had an 11 year old who they needed to stay They needed a home for a weekend It was a Friday. So I said, Sure, you know, but for me, I, I could only have him for only a weekend because I had two others other little ones, and I couldn't handle uh, three. You know, so uh, they brought him in and I didn't ask really much. And then the following day, uh, on on Monday, they came to pick him up. So I said, hey, so what's his story? They, they told me the story. So I was like, oh, no, you know, how, how do I let him go? So basically, I, I mean, I can tell you. So he was a, he was in the system when he was two years old. And then uh, he got adopted at three and a half. So the family that adopted him had given him away at 11. Wow. I know. <sighs> so I, I just didn't know what to say. So I said, you know, look, you know, you know what? 
we'll figure out, we'll find a way on how best I can be there for him. And from then, you know, I, I knew he was a kid that had nowhere to go, but also I knew I had room and a potential to truly be his dad. And so he's been with me for 12 months and we're in the process of adoption, uh, which should be done uh, in a couple months. So by the time that this episode airs, you it could be it'll probably be finalized, which is so cool. Absolutely. Yes. You know, it could be. Yes. Uh, he could be. My, he could have my last name. <laughs> oh, that's so fun. Um, so h- how is your relationship with him? Is he I mean, I, I imagine it'd be so hard to trust an adult after after losing a family twice. Um, and so is it getting there or is it just going to be a long process? You know, I think we connected the first three months. Like we really, you know, I, I did my best to make sure that uh, I made him feel comfortable, you know. So, uh, yeah, so I think he's excited and he wants that. And he also has separation anxiety. So when he doesn't, so when he doesn't see me, I think he's afraid that maybe I won't come back. Because mm. that's what they have done in, in his life. So he's really, you know, always next to me. He's in school right now, you know assurance that I will not go away and you know of course and with the trauma with kids you it's every day a battle but every day is a win you know every day is a win that you do the best you can uh, and I think the last 14 months you know I think he's getting there uh, and I think he trusts me enough to um, uh, to want me to be his dad I love that I love that what you said just every day is a win because um, I think that we don't as parents as parents to kids from hard places, we don't give ourselves those wins very often. Um, It's really easy to only see the failures, to only see how we haven't fixed it yet. Um, And that's not what's important. That's not what God calls us to. Um, He just calls us to show up every day. So I love that you said that, that that's your mentality. Um, And I think that's really encouraging to parents like us. Right, absolutely. You know, and, and and I would encourage parents. You know that yes, as you said yourself, that it's hard to be in the in the eyes or in the shoes of those kids, but yet you're willing to say, I don't really know where you're coming from, and I will never be. But at this moment, I just I want you to trust me, and I want you to know that I love you no matter what. And I think it's it's really cool for for kids to know that. And that was for me that that man. That every day he said, you're okay. You know, you'd be okay. It's not what he gave me. It's not uh, the move he took me. It's not the good clothes he, he showed me. But for him, the little saying, it will be okay. You know, it wasn't like, I'll fix it tomorrow. It wasn't, Peter, hey, you have a future for you that I'm planning for. You know, he, he always said, you'll be okay. And I think for you as foster moms, that's what you're doing. You're saying, I don't know. I don't know what the future holds. But for today... You're okay with me. And I'm with you no matter what happens. Uh, that really gives a little glimpse to us and to these kids that there's hope for, for them. Mm, that's good stuff, Peter. Like, really great. Uh, really great and encouraging. And, oh, thank you. Um, I did want to ask you, so something else. It's it's really funny that um, I have now, you are actually my second foster dad originally from Africa on the podcast. Right. Um, back in season two, I was able to interview someone who was originally from Nigeria. And he um, he came and we were we were talking about racial issues. That was why he was on the show. So he was talking about, you know, he he had the fact that he was black and that he was mainly uh, he has adopted two white girls, him and his wife. 
and also the fact that he was from another country. And so those are two seeming disadvantages. Have you seen any of that since you've come here? You know, just that you've you're having to overcome more than, you know, a white man in your shoes would. Right, absolutely. You know, and, and for me, which is weird, I've had 11 kids, but I think nine of them have been Caucasian, you know, which is, you know, yeah. strange, you know, <laughs> you, you, op- you open the door at three in the morning, you're like, uh, okay, you know, come in. And, and, and my son too is white, he's Caucasian as well. Yes, that, that, that sometimes, yes, people look at you and, uh, you know, but, but I think for me, the focus is the kid. The focus is my family that what others think I, I don't really care that much, you know, but yes, there's, there's a, there's a battle or hurdle that sometimes people will look at you in, in a weird way. And for us, it's everywhere because my kids love to yell, dad, you know, dad, dad. And sometimes, <laughs> you know, you know, people are like, where, where is he right there? You know, uh, e- even yesterday we went to Sam's club and in Sam's club, they cannot give the kid food unless the parents are there, you know? So I had the kids yelling, dad, dad, come over here. And as soon as I showed up, this person was like, you know, (laughs) that's hilarious. So Tim, the guy I interviewed, he actually said the same thing, that it's almost fun to mess with people because people get so confused. Right. Yes. You know, and my son also gets, uh, I think, fun of it when he goes to school and he's like, he's my dad. And they're like, "Uh, you're why he's black. You know? But they are trying to figure things out. But but again, at the same time, it really opens that door uh, when you when you're free to share. Like, hey, he's my son, and people are, are, who want to know in in a good way, they are always, I think, you know, left like, man, we should love with no boundaries of color. You know, we should love. You know, and for their parents too, the kids have had whose parents are white. I think that has really, really shifted so quickly because they realize where well, this guy is a foreigner but he, yeah he loves my kids as much as his own that that demeanor of seeing me as the worst person on earth they see it more from men you know i wish i loved my kids the same way they do uh that we build a good you know when my kids are uh, unified with parents we always keep in touch because of i think you know knowing why would a single man love my white kids you know as much as their kids I love that. I Everything you said. Amazing. So um, are you cool with going into some of these closing questions? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So what do you wish that someone had told you? Um, I, I say at the beginning of this journey, but you've had like six journeys <laughs> throughout your life. Right. So um, what, what do you wish that just going back to any point in your life that you want to choose? What do you wish that you would have known at the beginning? Before the... Uh, the foster uh, before the fostering or just my life you choose man oh gosh <laughs> i know it's a hard one <laughs> well i'll go to the foster you know i think for me i wish someone had taught me how hard it is to say goodbye you know mm. i wish like i think i was equipped to know what to cook how to help them you know all the therapy absolutely but no one ever told me how hard it is to say goodbye after you've loved those kids that like you will not sleep for a minute without thinking of those kids and over one night they're gone you know they're gone and you have nothing to really uh do about it you know i yes for me i wish i wish someone had told me or helped me understand that but i don't think anyone could because we fall in love with kids different ways uh but yes the saying goodbye was the hardest of all mm, yes absolutely um and what do you wish you had done differently? Uh, 
So for me, I'm a learner and I learn on it every day. I think coming from a, a very uh, uh, best survival mode, I still live in the same way as an adult right now, <laughs> you know, that, that I think for me, every past, good and bad, is a lesson. That whatever you went through, good, to see it as a way to move forward. Whatever it was bad, to use it as a lesson to help you to avoid those bad as you move forward. So for me, I think, you know, life is a journey every day, you know, especially for us who have foster kids that, you know, they go through trauma and even that trauma comes at a different age. You know, my kid is about to be 12, you know? So, uh, no, he's about 13 as a teenager. So there are things that are coming up that weren't coming out as a, as a five or 10 year old. But because he's a teenager now that they are, you know, showing up. So for me, uh, that to love him now, to see what's happening now and, and, and take it in and love it on and see the future, what he holds. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think that, that I mean, that's a good perspective to have going just going forward and to be able to be consistently learning. Um, and so maybe you would have done it differently, but then the outcome may be different. So um, just looking at it like that, I think is really encouraging. Um, and what a what is the best way that your community, your your people, your friends have supported you through this journey? So that was really difficult, you know. So because you remember, you're the one who chose to be a foster parent, you know. And so when I was going through the process, I told friends and my church group, you know. But with time, I realized that well, this is I only signed myself. I didn't sign them on, you know. Uh, here's why: because I think I was discouraged sometimes when I would ask uh, and things didn't show or what I thought they would help like, didn't, didn't turn out the same, you know. That I really began to realize that hey, I signed up, so I learned not to be just you know on my own, but learned how to survive when those resources don't show up, you know. Mm. But also on the other part, like I really learned to be vulnerable, which was really hard as a male and a single male uh, to be vulnerable to people and say, hey, I really cannot get to the store. I have a two-year-old, a three-year-old, and a five-year-old, and I would run crazy or I might run them crazy if I take them to the store. Would you mind bringing me a, a pint of milk and an orange juice? You know, So small things, not really looking for the big things, the small little things that your community can. And so for me, I went to predominantly uh, single uh uh, boys and girls. So I wanted to give them an opportunity to serve and understand as well, hey, you know, how can I be there for foster parents? So yeah, so I was able to be vulnerable to them and say, hey, it's hard. It's really hard to be a foster dad. And here's what I would like you to help me with. Just small things, you know, uh, that they would. And that has really been helpful to invite those who don't know that they can know a little bit more, but also inspire them. Once people come to your life and see how you do it and, and the joys of it, that they also really begin to say, you know what? If this single man can do it, we can do it, you know? Uh, so yes, being vulnerable to those that you know. Yes, absolutely. And that I mean, that's something that we found in our journey too. It's really hard because I think that even when people offer to help, it's still really hard to accept that help. Um, I think there's a piece of it where we're afraid it won't always be there. So we don't want to get used to it. Um, and then, but just learning how to ask and how to be that person that you're so afraid of becoming where the person, the, the needy person um, is, I think it's humbling and it's really good. And I think that that's how community is supposed to be. So abs yeah, absolutely. Everything you said um, on the flip side of that, I always ask, what is a way that you felt hurt or misunderstood or where you're, you're, 
Your people didn't show up. Um, and I always ask that question because I think it's important for our, our tribes, our communities to know what isn't helpful. Right. Absolutely. You know, so it's, as I said, as you know, you're, you're a foursome mom and you understand that you've got nights where you cannot sleep. You go nights where you're wondering what's next. You, you know, you're closing doors and setting all of the alarms because you're not sure if that child is going to run through that window. Uh, that sometimes for me, that was really hard that you couldn't share with most people. Like, you know, there was so much that was happening, but you couldn't really kind of expose the, the confidentiality to outsiders, you know, but sometimes I really had to deal with it myself, you know. Then the other part was that for me, what was urgent? So if I needed milk at seven, like I really need milk at seven. It cannot be 9 p.m. It cannot be 10. Like I need it now. You know, that sometimes I think they, you know, what was really crucial agent and, and in some way life uh, uh, that some people took it so lightly uh, that I, I, I would battle sometimes, you know, or those who say, hey, I really want to I want to help. But yet you say, OK, sure. Could you help? And then didn't show that that really was difficult for me to understand, you know, why why you would say you want to help, but not show up. Right. Yeah, definitely don't offer us help. Whoever's listening, if you're a support system, don't offer help unless you mean it. Because as we go along in this process, we are learning how to say yes to help. And so if you offer and we say, okay, then be prepared to show up, man. It's important. Um, right. And and let me and, and also let me tell you what my needs are. Don't, you know, I think sometimes they want to uh, you know, they they are brainstorming a million things they can do for you. Most of them, they are like a hundred from the list of what you want to do, you know, that, that sometimes uh, I wish they could, you know, listen to what I'm asking for. And sometimes it's too simple to them. They're like, yeah, that you need help for that. Yeah. Like just, just more my, yeah, I just want, that's all I'm asking for. Uh, so the simple things uh, and to always listen to us rather than, you know, what them want to tell us what we should do. Yes, yes. I mean, often we are, I was told by a counselor recently that um, we're the only one who can meet certain needs for these kids. You know, when they're when they're in our home, when we adopt them, certainly, you know, we're the only one that can be mom or dad. Um, but it's those basic needs that often fall to the wayside, because we're so busy living in this extremely hard place that, you know, it's it's the laundry, it's the grocery shopping, it's the cleaning it's the running errands it's whatever else like that's what doesn't get done because we're so busy dealing with trauma outbursts and lies and manipulation and all these just really hard things um and so i think that a lot of times those are less glamorous for people to help with but that's what we really need right absolutely and we are dealing with a social worker you know your agency you know i mean you've got a million things that you're dealing with that yeah that sometimes uh yeah it can be overwhelming uh to give a list of things you want when you have a million other list of things that you have to give to others that need it mm -hmm. yes um and so if you could just sum it all up what is your biggest piece of advice or encouragement to other other single dads or single parents in general who are in a situation like this who think that you know I can't adopt I can't foster but you can obviously you're doing it and you're doing it well so what's your advice or encouragement for them well for dads and moms you know here's what I would say it's really about the children it's not about 
uh, the, the DHS work, uh, you know, usually that's where they start. Oh, they're very difficult. They are, the system is so hard to deal with. But to think of the human behind it, when you think about the child, when you think about that, that little girl who has been uh, abused by their mom, dad, uh, for that little boy who has been neglected for years, for that little girl that has no future to what the mom has put her through, that they are the ones that matter. You know, the system will fail. I mean, every system will fail every day. But to always remember that it's the human little that did not choose to be born in, in a crock addict. It's the little boy who did not choose to be born in a father who sexually abused them. It's not the, the little kids that mom has neglected and hasn't fed them for months. Like, it's not... It's, it's, they didn't choose that, you know, that no matter the system, no matter how hard it is to always remember it's the little lives that did not have a part to play in all the failures of men and women that we should never, never in some way uh, feel that we cannot help them. You know, that's my, you know, for me, that's kind of what helps me when, when, when I'm having difficult with the you know, DHS, you know, to always know, hey, it's the little ones that I have that matter the most that I have to focus on. Or, or when I can not get where they need to go to know, hey, they are going through a lot. That is my opportunity to give them opportunity to be who they want to be or who they can be in the future. So, yes, I think we, we hear and then we, we are afraid to take part because we, you know, we hear so bad stories about the system. But for me, again, I was a street kid who didn't have a system. I was a street kid who didn't have mom and dad. I was a street kid who could die and no one would even know who, where to bury me. But a man who didn't know who I, I was, where I came from, said, there's, a, there's more than a 500 kids on the streets. I cannot do them all. But he said, I can do one. And that's really what I encourage the people that are listening to. The, you might not change 20 of them, but could you help one? Could you help one as a single dad? Could you help one as a single mom? And here's my part, that they will bless you more than you bless them. That's what I feel. Like they've taught me to love. They've taught me not to judge. They've taught me to love their parents, no matter where they come from, no matter what they have done, that I will never say bad things about them, that they truly love their kids. But it's the best way that they could raise them. That every day matters for them. That what we do for them God will reward, not the kids. You know, too much is given, much is required. Those kids will not reward you. But God, who has given you that passion and love, will reward you in many ways. Mm, I love it. Seriously, just really great encouragement and great advice and just an amazing perspective. And I know I've been saying that throughout your whole interview, but I just, I love your perspective on so many things. And um, where can, where can we follow you? Where can we find, uh, I don't know, where can we follow your adoption journey and see uh, pictures of your kid here in a few months? <laughs> um, where, uh, where can we find you? Ooh, my only source is Facebook and uh, Instagram. Like I don't, I'm not really good at uh, <laughs> blogging, you know, uh, but Instagram is usually where I tell a little story or share a picture. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's at Foster Dad Flipper, right? Yes. Foster Dad uh, Flipper. Love is it. Is my uh, idea on Instagram. Yes. 
Cool. And all of that will be in the show notes too. And um, thank you so much, Peter, for being willing to share your story and just talk to us about your experiences and your life. And I don't know, uh, encourage everyone that we can do this. But thank you as well for providing an opportunity to share. I, I know you're putting your heart there and I know your voice, uh, your love for those kids uh, is truly changing the lives of others. So we appreciate you and we cannot thank you enough. May God bless you every day and encourage you and use you in many ways that you could never imagine. So on behalf of the children, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I hope you found encouragement here. I need you to know that you are enough and you're doing a great job. We are all in this together and I am over here cheering you on. Don't forget to check out show notes for this episode and other resources at theadoptivemompodcast.com. Thanks for joining us.